If you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be starting there in verse 8, I believe, in just a few minutes. But uh, we've done something a little different here in the uh, month of July. And uh, uh, some people have been very excited about it. Those who aren't haven't told me. So we've got uh, two more Sundays here, and we're just going to keep doing this. We've... uh, actually tried to illustrate biblical truth from history using American history stories. July, of course, was uh, the anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, and, and we can see the Lord's hand in the formation of this country. In fact, the words uh, of our national anthem, not the, the first verse, but the third verse, which most people don't sing anymore, it talks about the heaven rescued land. And uh, if you've studied anything about American history, you understand that, I'll tell you, the, there was certainly divine providence interceding in our behalf. And the, the first Sunday of the month, we went through the story of George Washington, the evacuation from Long Island of the Revolutionary uh, Army. Uh, the British, British, of course, called it the Rebel Army. And uh, Of course, uh, you do have to understand that when Paul Revere rode through the New England hills, he was not crying, the British are coming, because everybody was British. Uh, We were still British citizens when he did that. He was more calling, the redcoats are coming, it's the army, it's the soldiers, and to be prepared for that. And then last Sunday... uh, we went through how God answered the prayer of a very strange man, General George Patton. And God did answer uh, the prayer, maybe not Patton's prayer. I'm not going out that far on a limb, but I'll tell you what. He had asked for every one of the 250,000 soldiers in the Third Army to pray about the weather. And I'll guarantee there were some good old-fashioned Bible-believing Christians in that group. And God does hear those prayers. Amen. And today we're going to do one that's a little different, not nearly as overtly seeing the hand of God working uh, an answer to prayer. Uh, I forgot to tell you when George Washington evacuated the troops, God sent a thick pea soup fog less than 600 yards from the British ships, the man of war we had. 9,000 troops in all of their carriages and all of their weapons evacuated across what is now the East River. And the British didn't hear a thing or see a thing until it was all too late. Uh, I will tell you that we believe that God does intervene. And sometimes God does things in a way that we wouldn't and don't appreciate it. How many of you have lived long enough for the Lord that you've seen something happen that at first you thought was very negative and very bad and that God was not paying attention and then realized that it was one of the best things that could have possibly happened? Uh, if you haven't lived uh, long enough to see that happen, let me tell you, get serving God and you, you will see it. And our story today comes from the, ver- the first battle of Bull Run, the first battle of Manassas Junction, if you want to uh, uh, call it that. 
this was the first major battle of what we now call the American Civil War. Uh, the uh, South Carolina, several states had already succeeded. They had already taken the American Fort Sumter there uh, by uh, force of arms and and uh, the garrison had surrendered and and the whole country was wondering what was going to happen. Uh, several states began forming what was now called the Confederacy and they set their headquarters up in Richmond, Virginia, hardly 50 miles or so from our nation's capital. And there had been quite a clamor in the White House and in the uh, different things that we just needed to send the Union Army down there, the American Army down there, and capture Richmond and it would all be over. Well, they had their opportunity as the main army of the Confederacy. Some 35,000 men were now facing Washington, D.C. at the Battle of Bull Run or Manassas Junction less than 25 miles from Washington, D.C. President Lincoln was in D.C. and, of course, all of the people there with the government getting a little nervous and so they got all of their soldiers. Actually, it was called the Army of Virginia. If you read the, the old history books, they're talking about the Army of Virginia. That wasn't the Confederate Army. That was the Union Army. And the Confederate Army at this time was called the Army of the Potomac. Uh, they would change those names before the end of the war. And so sometimes history is a little confusing here. There was a second Confederate Army, Winchester, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, right there at the uh, corner where Maryland, Virginia, just a few miles away from the capital. And so at this time, the commander of our troops sent an army to keep that Confederate Army, gave them strict orders. You are not to move. You are to keep that Confederate army from aiding the battle facing Washington. And so the general followed his orders. He didn't move. And the, the two armies faced each other. And it was a long, drawn-out affair. The battle proper didn't get started till after lunch. And not that they were eating lunch, but it was early noon before the battle uh, actually began. And the Union soldiers began pushing back the Confederates. They outnumbered them. Uh, they were coming in from different directions. They were taking a much more difficult military tactic. And, and the Confederate lines began to move. And finally, it looked like it was a complete rout. And the southern armies begin to give way and fall back. And all of a sudden, a very little known at this time commander, field commander. You see, that army that was over here in Winchester had snuck around the front of the federal army. And now we're reinforcing the Confederates. And that very obedient general just sat there the whole time facing nothing. 
fellow named Stonewall Jackson. I'm sure most of you have heard of him. He got his nickname at this first major battle of the Civil War. He brought his men in as the Confederates were retreating. He drew a line and sat up there and stood right in the face of the enemy fire. And his men rallied around him. And all of a sudden, it was the Union soldiers that started falling back. And then... 6,000 more troops arrived by rail and began to be fed in the battle. And all of a sudden, the Union soldiers began throwing down their guns, abandoning their cannons, and hightailing it for Washington, D.C. There's only one problem. They were the only Union army between the Confederate army and Washington, D.C., There, And here we have the president and his cabinet. And believe it or not, uh, many of the more wealthy people of Washington, D.C. had actually taken their carriages down and set up on the sides of the battlefield and thought that this was going to be a grand display. And we're watching it like you would a parade. The only problem is people were really dying. And when that Union line began melting and those soldiers ran away, all of these people were caught up and all the roads into Washington began to be clogged. And, and uh, it, was, it was a catastrophe. The president was being talked to by his advisors and said, listen, we've got to pack up the Capitol. We've got to leave. And a great shout went up from the Confederate line. You see, no one on the Confederates thought they could win the war at this point. But they had beaten the army of the Union in the first major battle of the Civil War. Not only did they beat them, they chased them off the field. Many of those elements chased those soldiers halfway back to Washington, D.C. And when they got into Washington... Terror spread throughout the camp. Now, we look at this as a great defeat. How could God be involved in such a fiasco? In fact, many people were asking the question, was God on the side of slavery here? Was God on the side of the Confederates? Was this country going to be dissolved? Well, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, hindsight is 20-20? Looking back, this was the absolute best thing that could have ever happened to the Union Army. Because their commanding general, who had forgotten to send the orders to this fellow over here who didn't move, got dismissed. And they began a process of trying to find a general. They didn't find anybody, really, until Ulysses S. Grant. That was late 1863, when things finally began to move in the right direction. But I want to challenge you that the victory that the Southern Army gained that day did much more harm than it did good to them. They were so disorganized that... Their generals, like 
Stonewall Jackson and Beauregard and others who were leading them could not organize a group of men to march 25 miles if they had marched into Washington, D.C. that night. The Civil War could have ended at the first battle. In fact, it was the only time in the next four and a half years that the Civil War raged that the Confederates ever even had a hope of winning the Civil War. And it was lost because they won. See, Jesus said, He that saves his life will lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall keep it. Amen? And I want us to look at the Bible today here in Second Corinthians. And often we come here when things are bad or happening in our lives, when we don't like the circumstances and we try to get hope from this passage. And uh, I want us to do those things today. But much more importantly, I want us to understand a few things that we can easily see studying the history of the Battle of Bull Run, the first Battle of Bull Run, that the people who were involved in it completely missed. Let's start reading in verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, let's actually just back up to verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now Paul's speaking again. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, as we go through this passage here, we're closing in on the end of the book of Second Corinthians. And Paul has had a lengthy Discourse here, several chapters, and he keeps telling the uh, Corinthians, uh, I'm not trying to be foolish, though what I'm saying sound, might sound a little foolish. He said, I'm going to glory in this, and I'm going to glory in that. And, and really what Paul was trying to do through this end of the book here, he was talking to a church that was struggling with the world, Corinth was a very, very vile city. I'll tell you, if I had choice between living in Corinth and living in New York City, New York City wins every time. It's not near the city that Corinth was in the days of the Apostle Paul. 
as far as evil, as far as just the baseness of the average person walking down the street. Corinth beats New York City hands down. And Paul was writing to this church trying to help it understand. Number one, there is no other place to go than the Lord Jesus Christ in this book called the Bible. You know, we hate that. There's nothing else you can do. No, no, no. I'm an American. There's always something else I can do. Wrong. If you're going to serve God, there's only one place you can go. And, and I just need to challenge you to think this morning as we are faced with many choices. I do appreciate everyone. I understand. You are here of your own free will. And, and uh, there are many, many other places you can go. There are places called churches that are designed to make you feel comfortable with yourself, with your sin, with who you are. That's not our purpose here. If you walk in this building and you are on the road to hell, and I make you comfortable, what have I done? I have helped you establish and willingly go to your own destruction. By God's grace, we don't want that ever to happen at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. If that means making you uncomfortable, then let's get it done. That's what God did to Paul in this passage, didn't he? It said that God sent a thorn in his flesh. And those of you that know me, I hope you don't mind hearing the story over again, but uh, every time I read that passage, I think of of myself as a young boy, about uh, 12 years old, and I was out rabbit hunting, kicking down through the brush, and all of a sudden, I felt a searing pain. I found what we call a thorn tree in Maryland. They're not very regular. The thing had some of those thorns three and four inches long and just razor sharp. I had just kicked a branch that had fallen off. And just to move it out of my way, I wasn't paying very close attention. That thing went right through my boot and right into the flesh underneath. I mean, that was the end of the hunting for the day. Uh, I, I was not severely injured, but it sure felt like it. Uh, I mean, it was painful. A thorn in the flesh. Most of us, when we read this passage, we think of someone buying us a rose and picking it up and getting a prick in your thumb. That is not a thorn in the flesh. This was something, what Paul was talking about here was something that penetrated to a depth that attracted nerve endings and all of those things, something that your whole body convulsed at. And he said that this happened to me lest I should be exalted above measure. I'd like to challenge you how many stories are in our Bible about where God does something to people to get their attention so they'll stop 
thinking about themselves and start thinking about God. That's when it went on in our story in history. And I believe that's what's going on right here in the book of Second Corinthians. Now, it says that Paul prayed three times for God to remove this thorn in his flesh. And again, I'd like to challenge. We've been to this verse many times over the years. Paul did not just say, Lord, please take this away. It bothers me. This was something that was agonizing his soul. Something that was stopping him from being able to think and and do anything else. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to drive a nail with a hammer and you hit the wrong nail. The one that's attached. You know what? You do not just continue driving the other nail. Everything stops. Uh, Most of the time, your breathing stops, at least for a little bit. Until you can catch your breath, until that immediate, total sensation of pain goes away. You're not doing anything. Well, Paul said, listen, this thing stopped me from doing everything. I was immobile. He said, I prayed. I asked God to remove this thing from me three different times. And here was God's answer. My grace is sufficient for thee. If you've been here on Thursday nights, we're just going through some biblical words right now. First word we dealt with was grace. Last Thursday night was mercy. Grace. God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is greater than your problems. How many of you believe that? Would you just lift up a hand? You don't need to wave it, but if you just go on public testimony, I can't hear very many amens with the air conditioners running, but uh, I'm not going to shut them off today. Amen. Uh, We'll hear a few amens on that. But the whole ideal here is, the whole understanding of this passage is God said... That my grace is greater than your pain. God says, my goodness, my favor is more than what you're going through. Now, there's only one problem. It doesn't feel that way. How many of you have been there? It just doesn't feel that way. And I do want you to understand that the Apostle Paul was feeling real physical pain and suffering at this point. He is asking God to remove this thing. And God says, my grace is sufficient. What you have is already more than you need. Now, that's something we don't like to hear. 
often will pray, Lord, I need, I need your help. I need you to get me through. God is telling Paul, says, you already have everything you need and more. Oh, wait a minute, God, you don't understand. It's not working. And God clarifies this thing in the next phrase here. He says, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. God said, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, most of us don't like being weak. We, we don't like losing. We, we do not like failure. We like to get things done. We, we want to be successful. We want this, uh, this to work. And yet, God says, you already have more grace than you need to get through this situation. He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so, if you like titles for the sermon, the sermon this morning, I tried to call it, We Lose, God Wins, and So Do We. We Lose. But God always wins. And if we'll walk with God, we can win. We can get through this time. It doesn't mean it's going to be simple. It's going to be easy. And you can only take examples so far. But I will tell you that this loss of this first major battle of the uh, Civil War was devastating. Uh, The... The, uh, they were talking about moving the capital and evacuating Washington, D.C., and, and they just had no idea if the Confederate Army could have marched in. It could have arrested the entire government of the United States. What would have been the end of the Civil War? There would have been nobody left to direct anything. But it didn't happen that way. In fact, what did happen was they got rid of some of the dead wood still floating around the War Department, started a search for generals that would actually do what generals were actually supposed to do, and realized that this conflict that they were facing was real. And it wasn't going to be over in a week. They were not sending people home in 75 days for Christmas This was going to be a war that was going to have to be fought. And by the end of the Civil War, there were over 600,000 casualties. Because the people on both sides were Americans. And it was a terrible, terrible time in our country. I want to us to think this morning. You know, we're so busy trying to fight this battle, fight this battle, so often frustrated with just the utter foolishness 
that is going on in Washington, D.C., on, on everybody's part. When I was a kid, it said, to err is human, but to really foul up things, you need a computer. Remember that? Could we change that a little bit today? To err is human, but if you really want to foul things up, call in Congress. Uh, I mean, just, just get, I mean, it seems to be a group of the most dysfunctional people that we've ever had leading our country today. And what are we supposed to do? Uh, I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. My grace is sufficient for thee. His strength, God's strength, is made perfect in our weakness. I'll tell you, there's been some times on these different projects and things that I've worked on over the years... I remember just climbing up the scaffolding and staring at this roof at Union Baptist Church. And I'm sitting there going, I have no clue how this is going to work out. And then all of a sudden, some people that showed up knew what they were doing. And we had to organize between the guys removing the asbestos and the guys putting on the new roof so that we didn't have huge exposed sections of roof and it would rain and whatever was left on the inside would be destroyed and and uh, it was it was and I remember just praying and praying and praying Lord don't let it rain until we get this covered up that summer was the driest summer that we had in a long time not because God answered my prayers but because God was taking care of us. You see, God works when we stop telling Him what to do. God works when we stop. That doesn't mean we don't have things to do. I mean, the Apostle Paul was was a man, if we want to talk about busy, busy if we want to talk about a schedule, he... he even while he was in prison for those years, still kept a very tight schedule, still kept talking to people about the gospel and and helping and writing and all of the things that he did. But we've got to understand something. We can't get the work done. It's not our strength that God wants. It's when we quit trying to tell God how to do things and start asking God how He wants to do things. You know, there's a battle going on in many churches over the type of music that will be in the church. One of the reasons I keep bringing this up is because I have men that I used to count as dear friends in the ministry, people that I used to fellowship with that I, I, can't, I can't go there. I wouldn't have them preach here. I wouldn't preach in their church. I wouldn't visit their church even if I were in the same town today. Because they quit being weak 
and started adopting philosophies and thought processes that made them look good to the world in which we live. By God's grace, we never want to do that here. Paul said his answer was, he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I'm going to thank God for my weaknesses. I'm going to thank God for the pain and the suffering that is in my life right now. Because what this stuff, this pain, this, this suffering, this weakness, this inability to get things done, what it's doing, it's forcing me on my knees and it's forcing me to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. The overall passage that these verses are found in is Paul's um, discourse to the Corinthians that there's no other place to give than the local church. That's chapters 8 and 9. He's he's talking about uh, there's no other way to order your church than the way the Bible orders your church. And he said, there's no other way to live than to be wholly dependent upon Christ instead of ourselves. And Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. We, we need... Just a good old-fashioned surrender of ourselves to the words of this book called the Bible. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we are not successful in doing. But there's a lot of things that are in the Bible that we could be doing if we weren't so worried about the things that we can't do. Hello? And what we're trying to understand here in this passage, Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let me just kind of paint this illustration. We'll be done in just a few minutes. But has anybody ever done this? I know I have, and I'll admit it this morning. I get up in the morning and, man, just feel good. And I grab my Bible and read and all those things and pray. And it just is a beautiful day. And I'm going, wow, look, look what the Lord's doing. And then, bam, right on my face. Anybody ever done that? Okay, good. Glad I'm not the only one. You know why that happens? Because we feel strong. Do you know one of the greatest tricks that the devil has used in so many different ways? Is he makes you feel smart. Makes you feel strong. I mean, isn't that what the pool sharks and the card sharks do? 
is you win the first two or three games and all of a sudden you're very confident in your ability and then they take you to the cleaners. It's the way the devil works every time. He's got nothing new. You know, if we would stop trying to think how smart we are or how spiritually prepared we are or how anything we are and admit our weakness, how about our discomfort, our pain, and come before God and understand that He gives us these things so that we will trust Him. So that we will do things His way. So that we will get out of the way and try to obey His Word so that we will let Him be the director of our life. You know, the, the world wants us to think that this book and the things that are in it are so far removed from the real world that you can't follow the Bible and live in the real world. In fact, our governor said people who believe what this Bible says have no part in the politics in New York State. Well, I'm going to vote against them every time I can because I, I, do, I do live here and I do have the... Uh, uh, right to vote and all of those things, and I'm going to exercise that, but that's not the answer. You see, the world of serving Christ is going to last for all eternity. So you ask, you answer the question, which one is the real world? The word of the Bible or the world that's out there? I, I'll tell you, Here's the real world. And the only time this world is going to have a true and real victory over that world is when the Prince of Peace rules this world from the city of peace. And I'm looking forward to that day when Jesus is in charge. It's going to be a little different. There aren't going to be any sneak attacks. There aren't going to be any mafioso running around killing people in the middle of the night and threatening and all. That's not going to happen when Jesus is in charge. You know, the world dreams about stopping criminals before they commit their crimes. Well, that's real simple. The communists have had it down for, for generations. Is you just put everybody in jail. Jesus doesn't have to do that. Because he is God. And the more I get out into this world and try to fight this world, the more I end up serving the devil. But if what I'll do is serve the God of this book called the Bible, I can take the weaknesses and the persecutions and the physical pain that sometimes comes my way and I can allow them to drive me closer to God. Don't give up on obeying God. Give up on listening to the world. Amen? Don't, don't give up 
on doing things that are right. Don't seek the world's approval. Let's seek God's approval. Instead of seeing how close we can get to the world and put our arm around it and negotiate with it, let's see how close we can get to obeying God. And you know what you're going to find? Can't do it. Too weak. You don't have the strength. You don't have the endurance. You don't have the answers. But God's grace is more than sufficient. And you already have it. It's just you're so busy trying to get something done to help God out that you're not taking advantage of the grace that's already there. God's not going to give you His strength until you stop fighting. It's like the lifeguard in the beach. You go out swimming and you get stuck in in, uh, a place where you can't get back and you start going down Uh, A good lifeguard is going to swim out there very quickly to close to where you are and let you know that he or she is there. But they're not going to try to save you until you stop swimming. Because there's been more than one lifeguard that has lost their life trying to save a panicked swimmer because the panic drove that swimmer to just grab a hold of the lifeguard and hold on. And the lifeguard couldn't swim and both of them drowned. That has happened. Now, I don't care how panicked you are with God, he's not going down. Amen? Illustrations only have so far you can go with them. But I will tell you this. God's not going to save you until you stop flailing around. Sometimes God's going to bring difficult things into your life. Failure. The failure in our story from history was catastrophic. But isn't it interesting that the failure that woke up the North to realize what they needed to do was the same one that so disorganized the South that they couldn't even organize after the victory. You see, I believe God had a hand in those things. And I believe God's hand is still in history today. And I believe he's moving this world to a point to where the events that are talked about in the book of Revelation are going to come to happen. God's word is true. It's going to be there. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. My weakness. Paul says, most gladly... Therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. When's the last time you thank God for suffering in your life? Difficulties that you couldn't figure out. 
tell you, it's not until we stop struggling that God reaches out. He will not use His strength as long as you think you can get it done in yours. That's why Paul said, when I'm weak, then am I strong. That's when really it's going to happen because it won't be me doing it. It'll be God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.